But I think the best thing we're reflecting back is focusing on the skills you want to hone and like the the actual tasks you like doing and then finding jobs that will let you do that as opposed to this sounds really prestigious I want to go do this and then realizing mm -hmm. it's actually not setting you up for success because it's not what you're good at or passionate about. Hello, 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 everybody, and happy Tuesday. Welcome to episode 16 of Venturing in VC with yours truly, Landon Campbell. I've been looking forward to this episode for a very long time, and I am super excited to welcome our guest onto the stage. Before we do, just want to share some information about our show in case this is your first time streaming in. Uh, we're a live show where every single week you get to hear from the top venture capitalists about the routines, journeys, and lessons. You've been able and can sign up for exciting guests every single Tuesday directly on our website at inside.com. And of course, as always, this episode and all episodes go live on Thursday morning on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. So if you enjoy our conversation and the advice that our guest has to share today, please make sure to share with your family, friends, peers, anybody who would find it useful. All right, drum roll, please. We are very excited to welcome Allison Stillman to the stage. She is the founding general partner at Serena Ventures, where she oversees portfolio management and sourcing new investments. In addition to growing the reach and impact of the fund, Allison is the person that founders turn to when they need pointed advice, detailed feedback, and tough love. <laughs> Allison holds a BS from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business and an MBA from the Harvard Business School. And of course, she is a CFA charter holder, and we are super excited to welcome Allison to the stage. Allison, happy Tuesday. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Of course. How was that intro out of 10? <laughs> it was great. I found myself a little bored by myself, but other than that, <laughs> Well, we're going to dive a little deeper into the journey and we're just really um, fortunate to have you on the show. So again, just want to say thank you so much. Very excited to be here and talk about all the great things that we're doing over here at Serena Ventures. Of course. But before we do, we got to bring it a little back. Um, you know, I was looking uh, around, you know, just at uh, the time and places that you spent uh, for college. And I saw that you spent some time abroad, uh, the University of College of London, you know, starting your undergrad uh, graduate degree there. Um, I want to talk about what it was like attending college, um, not in the U.S. And also we'll start with uh, one of my favorite questions, maybe a daily routine that you developed during your college days that you can say you still use today. Yeah. So daily routine is I am a late night thinker. And that's something I learned in college. I would definitely do my best work at night. And it's something I still do. So I tend to kind of shut off from work from around six o'clock to nine o'clock. And then from nine to 11, I think my best my best thinking happens. And the same thing in college, I would write my essays then and do things there. So uh, I learned that I work best at, at night and that's okay. I feel like there's a lot of pressure to always be like that early bird and do the best work in the morning. Um, I do still wake up, you know, probably an hour and a hour and a half before my first meetings, but that's more me time and less work time. Um, so that's something I, I worked on in college and still do. And going abroad was really interesting because I was in Wharton. So all of my classes in undergrad were really business focused. And when I went abroad, I went through the College um, of Arts and Sciences and I actually minored in psychology. So I had the chance to take classes that weren't focused on markets and weren't focused on um, maybe my end career, but it was the first time I really took things that uh, just excited me. I took a class on ancient Egyptian archaeology and London architecture and just areas that were never going to be a part of my world on Wall Street, but really just kind of broadened my learning, my expertise. Um, and it was it was also a great starting off point to travel the world. So I got to, there was a thing at the time, I don't know if it still exists, but it was, I think, EasyJet or Ryanair. If you, if you logged on at like Tuesdays mm -hmm. at a certain time, there were one pound flights. And so we would, we would, you know, go on Tuesday morning and Stockholm had one pound flights and it ends up being like 40 ducks at the end with all the taxes and stuff. We're like, okay, guess we're going to Stockholm this weekend. And it was a great way to kind of one, learn how to not plan as much because I'm a big planner. And so having that kind of spur of the moment, but to just kind of see the world and let adventure take you where it's going to go. Um, and that's something that's been helpful. Of course. And by immersing yourself in so many different cultures, you learn so much. Um, so I just really think that that's a powerful thing that if you have an opportunity to travel abroad in your early 20s or, uh, you know, while you're in school, you should totally take advantage and do that. Um, would Have you had an opportunity to go back as well 
um, since spending that time there? So the last time I was in London was for Wimbledon in 2019. Okay. Um, for uh, Serena was playing in the finals, and it was really fun because I got to see some of my old friends and my old sandwich shop, uh, which I'd been to a couple times since then because when I was working at JP, uh, my team was actually based in London, so I spent a good amount of time there. But um, you know, with the pandemic, haven't been haven't been to Europe since 2019. Would love to go back. Uh, hopefully, the world is opening up a bit more so we can do that. But still, keep in touch with friends who are in Amsterdam or in Milan, and it's great to to have that those connections. Of course, you never know where those connections can uh, take off, and be, you know what else they can become. So, you know, you've alluded towards it, um, you know, briefly in talking about these post grad jobs. I'd love to dive in a little deeper um, in just talking, you know. Uh, your time at Warden, you knew directly, you know, the path that you wanted to take after college. Um, if you would say, well, I mean, what'd you say you did? Ish? Um, <laughs> no, I, I would say I took AP economics in high school and I really liked it and I was good at math. So it seemed like a good idea to go to business mm -hmm. school. And it was, but my first internship was in investment banking and it was during the height of the recession and I was doing recapitalization. So basically helping companies in bankruptcy. And I was focused on the gaming section, which was really interesting. So think about casinos, uh, but I was 19 at the time. So I actually couldn't go to any of the, the on-sites. I had to wait in the parking lot while the rest of the team went on um, <laughs> and realized that, that banking wasn't for me. It was a little bit too transactional. And so I went back to career services and I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I'm a people person, I like talking to people. I'm like, oh yeah, no, 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 you should definitely do sales and trading. I was like, oh, okay. So I spent my next summer at Goldman doing sales and trading. And uh, while I definitely got to talk to more people on the sales side and it was interesting, I, I remember getting in trouble because they had the World Cup games on. This was during the summer and I was an intern. And they, the feedback I got was that I cared more about the soccer than I did about, about the markets. And I was like, well, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, I, I really, I really love soccer and I, I do love sports. Um, so kind of went back to the drawing board again and went back to, to the career services. And I think because I was in Wharton and it was so finance focused, the next logical step was not to try something outside of finance, but to go into asset management. And so I ended up starting my career at JP Morgan in asset management, which ended up being a really great place for me because there were so many opportunities to learn different aspects. When I was in sales and trading, I was doing, uh, one of my stops was in mortgage pass-through securities, volatile and exotics and US treasury. So like super technical trading. Mm -hmm. And I think I needed to get as far away from that as possible when I started. So I ended up working in sales at JP, working with um, large corporate and public pension plans, endowments and foundations and helping them think through their portfolio. And that's when I started doing the CFA program and thinking about portfolio management and found areas that actually really excited me and learning about the risk reward trade off and how to use what's going on in the broader markets to change your allocations. Those were things that I actually, there were puzzles I got to solve. And that's what I realized I like to do. Of course. Um, so you made a great point there that I want to highlight. Of course, as we go throughout our careers, we want to find the things that we're most passionate about, the things that we're most good at, the things that we want to spend our time doing. Unfortunately, early in your career, it's very difficult to start with that right away. So not only should you be pursuing the things that you love, but you need to also find out the things that you don't love. During those early careers that you had, um, you know, you had some things that you like to do, some things that you just acknowledged that you, you know, weren't such a fan of. When it comes to reflecting, you know, was it just you finished the position and after that you kind of spoke to yourself, okay, like, do I like this? Do I not like this? Or like, was it every single day you kind of had the self-reflection moments where I'm going to kind of go through it, I'm going to finish it, but I'm not happy doing what I'm doing right now? So I got really good advice from one of my mentors at Goldman, a woman named Allison Mass, and she said, no one's going to wake up in the morning caring about your career more than you are. And you really have to be your own steward of your career. And so when I was at Goldman, I would think about that, especially because the way that that program was structured was every three weeks you had a new job. So it was kind of like a lot of mini internships. And it was super helpful for me to reflect kind of constantly on what was working, what wasn't working. One, to help me figure out where I wanted my next rotation to be, but two, to help me think about what are the skill sets I want to develop and what are the things I want to be doing and how will that make me successful? And I think a lot of times when you're starting out, it's very much focused on the title, the prestige, the place you're working on, or kind of, you know, if you're 
at like a theater school and everyone's going into banking, you want to go into banking or, or consulting or whatever that is tech these days. But I think the best thing we're reflecting back is focusing on the skills you want to hone and like the, the actual tasks you like doing and then finding jobs that will let you do that as opposed to this sounds really prestigious. I want to go do this. And then realizing mm-hmm. it's actually not setting you up for success because it's not what you're good at or passionate about. I love that. What you're saying is, uh, you know, going into a job, you don't always need to go head first. Sometimes you need to think backwards. Like, you know, by the time you end a position, what skills do you want to have cultivated doing, um, you know, at this position? Um, you know, who do you want to have networked with? So, yeah. yeah, I think like we're always thinking day one. Um, you know, we never want to think of the last day of a job before we started, but sometimes you do kind of have to think backwards. And uh, it's not to be the yeah. last day, but just I like to set goals for myself, whether it's mm-hmm. annually or ser- some sort of timeline. I think it's important. Uh, everything just moves so fast these days and it's really easy just to, you know, tread and stay above water. And if you're not focused on having what one or two goals or things you really want to accomplish, the the world can pass you by. So whether it's the last day or just by the end of this year, I want to have done this, this or this. I think it's really helpful to have some goals. Of course. So let's talk about some goals that you had during your time at JP Morgan, where you spent three years uh, working at JP Morgan Asset Management, uh, two different positions, uh, a lot of different teams. Um, going into your time at JP, you know, what were some things that you wanted to accomplish um, and build on, um, especially, you know, JP being such a large uh, firm? So I actually found there were five years because I was there for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that I learned when I was a JP. When I started, I just wanted to learn the industry. I think it's really hard to know where you want to specialize from day one. And like, if there are some people who wake up and love real estate and it's all they've been dreaming about and it's what they want to do. And they know that from day one, like they should go work in the real estate group. I didn't have that. I knew that I wanted to be challenged, that I wanted to learn, but I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. So I started out in sales um, as an, as an, an advisory analyst working with these large corporate and public pension plans and had an amazing boss named Rich Gray who kind of plucked me. Um, I would say I was part of the broader analyst pool and he had a different analyst or associate when he started and he and I just started talking and just, I wanted to learn from him and we had a really good rapport. So he actually went to the head of our group and said, I don't want these two people anymore. I just want to work with Allison, which was amazing at such a young age to kind of have someone really go to bat for you and be your mentor. And with him, I was constantly learning, but also he was always pushing me like, what do you want to do next? How do you think about what's next for you? And JP was such a large place. Like you're lucky in the sense that you can find what's next for you without having to go find another company. And that's something I really took advantage of. So about every 18 months I was at JP, I found a new role, Um, but they were all kind of natural progressions of what I was doing before. So I was in a broader sales role. And then in the first decade of the 2000s, JP had done a lot of acquisitions of smaller alternative asset managers, and they hadn't really brought the entire alt business under one roof. So I was part of a team that was figuring out what areas to invest in, what areas to divest in, how to structure this, how to figure out how we launch new funds in the real estate, private equity, and hedge fund space. And that was great because I was, again, learning a landscape, talking to the portfolio managers, the founders, and understanding like what their strategies were, what markets it does well in, again, putting those puzzle pieces together. And then ultimately ended up working for our systematic alpha strategy, which was a quantitative research strategy in the hedge fund space. And so again, very different from anything I had done, but was really strongly supported by the management team around me. Ended up having to go to London a bunch of times, which as we discussed, <laughs> so it was wonderful. I got to see old friends, uh, and it was great because everyone on my team was like a PhD or a master. So I was kind of the 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 only person there who didn't have an advanced degree, but I was taking all the data that they were doing and making information, really worked on my communication, my understanding, but also just the level of academic kind of discourse was having was just fascinating to me. And and it kind of showed me like, oh yeah, I really do love to learn. And like, maybe there's more out there for me. And so ended up being my last job before going to get my, my business school degree. Well, it sounded like that you were surrounded by so many intelligent people. And that's nice, you know, to being in an environment like that, you get to learn so much every single day, Uh, not just about what you're doing, but, you know, also about what other people are doing. 
Um, and also your point about uh, finding a good mentor. Uh, really, really lucky that you had such a wonderful mentor, someone that really looked out for you and also gave you that responsibility, gave you a shot. Um, a lot of times, you know, people are searching desperately for one and, you know, unfortunately never find a mentor like that. Um, you know, what is your advice and what was your advice, you know, early in your career for finding a mentor? And I'll even flip it also. How do you try and serve as a mentor today? Yeah, so I think as much as the programs that I was a part of that tried to get us mentors are good. And actually I did one in undergrad that actually took, and I still talk to my mentor mentor there. Um, she works at, she works at, at a completely different field, but it's still kind of like my life mentor. So sometimes those programs work. This was when a, an MBA was mentoring an undergrad and, and still talked to her today. Her name's Daryl. And she like is my life mentor. Now I feel like I talked to marriage and life and all of those fun things, but for the most part, I think it, it, it happens organically. So Rich Gray, who I was talking about, wasn't my boss. I was working for two other people, but I thought he was smart. I wanted to learn from him. So I would just, you know, ask him to grab coffee. And it was easier when we were in offices and I sat near him. And it's obviously harder today. But I think making that effort um, and just talking to him about what I was interested in was really helpful. The other thing is just being super authentic. I think the, the mentorships that I've had, and I've had a couple in business school and, and, and post, um, it's where I can be vulnerable and honest about what I'm going through that are the most meaningful and helpful of my mentors. And I can say, you know, this is my what I'm struggling with right now, or this is the thing I really want to accomplish, and how do I get there? So finding someone that you who's maybe not in your direct reporting line or something where you can be super honest is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to do that when I'm mentoring people is – you know, I mentor a lot of founders who aren't in our portfolio because it's sometimes almost easier, whether for whatever reason we didn't invest in them, they're too far along, but giving them advice without having a personal stake in it, you just get more honest advice. I also feel like I mentor our, our, our founders as well. But um, the other thing I would say is, is actually some advice that Rich Gray gave me was you don't get what you don't ask for. So if you find someone and you like them and you want them to be your mentor, you need to ask. And most people will be flattered and take that very seriously. And if they don't have the capacity to take that on, they'd hopefully be honest. But I'm explicit in it. When I when I meet someone and I'm like, I, you know, Beth Ferreira, who works at First Mark Capital, I think the first time I met with her, I was like, I want you to be my venture fairy godmother. Like, I want you to teach me everything. And I was very explicit. I was like, I, I like you. I think you're very smart. I think you understand me. Would you do this? And she absolutely took that on. And I think that's been really helpful. Of course. I love that. I think that um, breaking down and synthesizing a few of the things that you said, don't be afraid to just ask. Um, don't be afraid to look outside your department. And um, something that I love that a lot of leaders you know, like yourself have mentioned, you know, the things that uh, you want you know, mentees to do, you know, reach out, not be afraid. Those are things that you did, you know, when you were growing up in your career um, and a lot of these other leaders. So I think that uh, to the young 20 somethings that are listening now, um, you know, do the things that a lot of these, uh, you know, mentors today that you're going after did when they were, um, you know, in your position. Um, and yeah, also just being genuine and authentic is super, super important. Um, so you just mentioned Beth, a mentor that helped, you know, shape and give you some thoughts about the venture landscape. I think that's a perfect pivot for us to talk about how you ventured into VC. Um, so we'll start a little, yeah, you like that? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we'll start a little before, um, you know, Serena Ventures. How did you first like find out about this thing called venture capital? Yeah, so I was in New York for the start of my career, not out in the Bay. So I had kind of heard about venture capital. I knew what was going on, but it wasn't an area of focus until right before I went to business school and started meeting with people who were at HBS or going through it. And I remember the first time I heard like about Andreessen Horowitz and I was like, oh, what is that? Like I didn't even know what that was at the time. So I was a little bit late to the game. Um, but I didn't go into business school wanting to work in venture. I really wanted to work in sports. So going back to caring more about the soccer World Cup than than the markets, um, my whole thesis going into business school is that I want to be the commissioner of the NFL. I can do a better job than Roger Goodell. And um, there's a lot of opportunity that's being missed. I think that's all still true. Uh, but, you know, as I started networking and kind of finding people in the sports world, a lot of the advice was to get skill self skill sets outside of uh, sports and then bring them over. So go be an expert in something, go learn how to build a company, go learn how to operate a company and then come over to sports. And so I was like, okay, I'm listening, but I'm pretty hard headed. So I think I'm probably still going to go work in sports. And then I worked at a talent agency and that was my first time really working with talent. 
And having worked at JP Morgan, where they pretty much tattoo fiduciary responsibility onto you, um, that kind of ownership of like your responsibility to your client was something I thought was really interesting and not necessarily everyone in the sports world thought about that in the same way. So when I went back to Harvard for business school, um, Anita Elberse, one of the one of the professors there, was starting a program called the Crossover into Business Program. And that was a program for NBA players to be mentored by MBA students. And that then grew to WNBA, men's women's soccer, golf, tennis, baseball, softball, Olympians, ballerinas, any high performance athlete. Um, but that was my first time working with talent. And they were getting all of these opportunities to invest in companies and they didn't have any framework or way to really understand it. So that was kind of the first time I started helping individuals think about the opportunities at hand. And then I was the president of the Business of Sports Club because like I said, I really wanted to work in sports. <laughs> I really wanted to run the NFL. Um, it's not too late for that, by the way. <laughs> no, I mean, I think like Condoleezza is like a little bit ahead of me in, in, in the race, but you know. Plenty of seats at the table. Of course. Um, and uh, got an email from Carmelo Anthony and his partner, mm -hmm. a guy named Stuart Goldfarb, saying, hey, we're working on some projects and we'd love to get some help. Is there anyone at Harvard who could help us? And I was like, yes, me. I can help you. So <laughs> kind of volunteered myself and put together a group of uh, five other students with me to help them think through business they were thinking of launching. And then I got very close with Stuart, who runs Mellow's uh, Venture Fund, and just we started bouncing ideas off of each other. And I was coming up to graduating, and I was one of those kids who graduated without a job, which was very scary. But I had been told that if you want to work in a non-traditional industry, like they're not going to recruit when McKinsey and Bain and BCG are recruiting. So sure. my now my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he wanted to work in tech. I still wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, something in sports, maybe something in this venture world. And so while all of our friends kind of graduated and traveled the world, uh, we moved in with my parents and <laughs> tried to figure out what we were going to do with our lives. But um, he got a great job out here in San Francisco. So reached out to basically everyone I knew in San Francisco and then everyone my mentors knew in San Francisco. And so Stuart, who works with Mello, put me in touch with Chris Lyons, who runs the Cultural Leadership Fund at Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and Chris and I just got to know each other, really liked each other. And he had been friends with Serena for a while and knew she was looking. And I had known that Serena was looking as well because um, I had other people had submitted my resume and, and she had <laughs> politely declined to meet with me. But <laughs> finally, when Chris gave me the sale of approval, I had my first call with Serena. Um, and that's kind of how we, we met and started on the journey. That's amazing. Really love that story. Um, so that first conversation with Serena, though, you know, what was sort of the pitch and what kind of helped you stand out? Um, and do you guys ever joke around about it now that, uh, you know, you were trying to get in um, so many times? Oh, I, I remind her every time she tells me, she, I was looking to hire someone for a year. I'm like, well, it could have been eight months. You know, you you, you just kept passing on me. Yeah, that's good that um, you were persistent, though. And like, you yeah, know, I mean, every time someone was like, hey, she's looking and I was like, you can throw my ring. Like, please, if you can send it. She keeps passing on me, but I mean, how would you not want to have the chance to work for her or work with her? Of course. And so the first conversation is actually, I took it in the parking lot of a bridal shop because one of my <laughs> best friends was getting married and I was going in to try on my bridesmaid's dress. And I didn't know exactly when the call was going to happen. It, was, it wasn't clear. And I get a text like 30 minutes before like, hey, are you free in 30 minutes? I was like, Sure. So I went on and tried like one bridesmaid's dress on. I was like, this fits. This is good. I'm good. And my friend was like, are you sure you don't want to try it? I was like, no, no, this is it. This is because I, <laughs> I was going to have a call with Serena. And I was too nervous to drive. I was so anxious. So I just sat mm -hmm. in the parking lot and waited um, for the call. And it was, a, it was a pretty quick call. It was maybe 20, 30 minutes. And it was more of Serena just telling me about what she was trying to build and why she wanted to build on a team um, and kind of her goals and her vision. And it wasn't really about me pitching it, but just listening, understanding. And she's like, and she asked me to come to her house a week later and pitch her some companies I thought would be good fits for her and her portfolio. And so it was, it was really like an information gathering and to see like just kind of broadly if we liked each other enough to go to the next step. And so ended up going to her house on a Sunday and um, 
again, I did not come from the tech VC world. So I went to like a FedEx and printed like <laughs> actual copies of my presentation and bound them as a, like, didn't doc send it. There was a, like, I get to the meeting and she has her iPad and she's like, so where's the presentation? I hand it to her. She's like, oh, okay. You got to stand out. You got to stand out somehow. <laughs> but I had spent my whole time in New York and in banking and that's what we did. We had printed presentations and it was just a different time. And, and so, um, ended up presenting four companies to her and then had an appendix about 30 other companies that I thought should be on her radar. Mm -hmm. And I also brought tacos. So she had posted the week before that um, she loved taco Sunday. So since we were meeting at lunchtime on a Sunday, I brought tacos, but I had just moved to San Francisco. So I didn't know like what the best taco was. And so I spent probably half the week freaking out about the interview and the other half the week freaking out about how I was going to get these tacos and not wanting the tacos to be soggy and how do I think about it. And so I ended up doing a DIY taco bar. So everything was separate. Operation details matter. So that everyone could go there. So yeah, we had this great conversation. I was probably there for like an hour and a half or two hours. And she told me like, this is wonderful. I just want you to know, like, I'm probably not hiring until next year, but like, I want to keep you on the back burner. And I was like, great. At the same time, like, I need a job. Uh, so I started interviewing for other jobs, but Serena kept coming back and giving me more tasks. So she called me and was like, I'm having an, a meeting in San Francisco. Like, I'd love for you to come join with me. I'd love to see how you are in a meeting. And this was, again, like 8 o'clock at night, and the meeting was the next morning. So <laughs> I was like, okay, whew, going to, and I, I didn't have a car at that time. So like borrowed a friend's car. I like, called my friend, like, can I borrow your car? I have to get to this meeting tomorrow. Um, did that with her. And then she had me go meet with a with a company. And what I didn't know at the time is that she'd already invested in the company. So this was an interview, mm. but he just told me like, can you go meet with them? Like they're really interested. I've had a couple calls. So I go to the office and the company's having fun with me, but I don't, I don't know this at the time. They're like, Hey, we noticed you use your Gmail account and not your Serena Ventures email. It's like, it's on your LinkedIn. Like, and I was like, Oh yeah, we're, we're still in stealth mode. So we're trying to keep everything like, I wasn't hired. I was just doing a, like a favor to Serena because she asked me, um, but ended up having a great conversation with that company and, and clearly got some good feedback on the other end. And then ended up waking up one morning. It was like a Monday morning and I had like 12 emails from Serena's husband. And I was like, what is going on? And again, Serena had told me that she's not hiring and I had been interviewing with other people and I was super open. Like I was talking to a firm for a long time. I was like, I have this opportunity but it won't be till January. Can I do an internship with you? Can I do something like work with you for a couple months? So you can see if you like me, I can see if I like you. And then if this ends up happening, I'm, I might leave for, for Serena. And uh, it was actually with Gingerbread Capital. And Ida there was like, if you can work with Serena, you go work with Serena. She's, <laughs> she's like, I want to hire you. You're very smart, but you don't miss that opportunity. And so when Serena's husband had emailed me, I messaged her and I was like, I just want to let you know, Alexis is emailing me and I'm happy to like continue to help you. But I, I do think I'm going to take this opportunity with gingerbread because mm -hmm. it's an, it, it's available to start now. And she was like, oh, okay, I'll just hire you now. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, it was that simple. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, you played I was like, no, I played Red was coming due and I really needed a job. But that's how I ended up working for her. And it was just wow. the two of us for about two and a half years. So it's a long time. Wow, Allison, I love that story. That was hilarious. Um, so clear that from, you know, a lot of your background working in New York finance, and you were able to bring a lot of structure and organization to Serena Ventures. Um, so I think it's perfect pivot for us now to talk about, you know, just day one versus everything that's happening today. Um, what you've really been able to help innovate at Serena Ventures. How did it look, you know, right when you started and what were some of your main and very different, clearly. What were some of your main like points of focus, like areas of interest that you wanted to en enhance uh, when you started? Yeah, so Serena had been a pretty active angel for a number of years before I started. And I don't think a lot of people knew that. I didn't know that before I started meeting I with her. Um, she had about 25 to 30 companies when I started. Wow. Um, but I came in one day and I got an Excel with like 13 company names. And I was like, where are the other ones? So it was, you know, she was... Serena is an amazing picker and she is able to see trends and really read people, but she was also spending a majority of her time winning grand slams. So there wasn't sure. some kind of day to day being that point person, uh, being a resource for the founders, following up with them. So my first six months were really just figuring out what was in our portfolio, what we were doing well, what we weren't doing well, how we could be helpful. 
but then also bringing in that structure to what you alluded to. I, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I knew that the end goal was going to be to have a firm and have funds one day. And to do that, we had to build a track record. And for that, we needed to really pick a thesis and focus on that. And so it was taking what Serena was already really good at and really focusing it. And I wanted to focus it even more. I was like, let's just pick like one or two sectors. And Serena's like, no, 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 we have to still be broad. We see so many opportunities. So it was a little bit of give and take in the beginning of how do we build this and structure this, um, but ends up kind of putting in those systems in place, writing investment memos, checking in with our founders, um, you know, traveling to meet them because Luckily, I wasn't on the tour, so I had more time where I didn't have to be in Europe for the French Open. And so spending a lot of time with our founders, hearing what they needed, and then building out the resources for them. Um, and then today, we're, we're now a team of six. Uh, we have four investors, two on the operations side. Uh, we have very, very strong systems into health. And we talk to our founders, what we offer them. We have a resource center for them. Um, but also the way that we invest, the thesis that we bring to it, the way we do our diligence, all of that was work that we had to put in together. And now even with the launch of the fund, it's things as basic as what are the operating principles? What does it mean to be a part of Serena Ventures? Because we want to build a firm that's going to last for years and years to come. And so mm-hmm. building it right from day one and being super thoughtful on how we we build the team, build our ethos, build our mission is something that we that Serena and I spent a good amount of time on. I love that when explaining it, you say firm instead of fund. You know, funds, you know, they come and go, but really you got to think long term. Um, yeah. So you guys are trying to build something that lasts and, out, you know, lives all of you, I mean, all of us. So I think that it's beautiful to say that you guys are building a strong firm. Um, I'd love to even dive deeper into Serena Ventures now and talk about, you know, these areas of interest that you guys are focused on. Uh, what are some industries that you're very excited about? Um, and if you can kind of break down the thesis a little more, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. So at Serena Ventures, we invest to make everyday lives better for everyday people. And we, what we try to do is solve problems that disproportionately affect women and people of color. Those are systematically overlooked within the venture community. So opportunities to do good and do well. Uh, one does not have to come at the expense of the other. And within that, we do focus on certain areas. I would say fintech, health and wellness, and e-commerce and retail is probably the, our, our three biggest buckets. Um, and really, it's about how are we helping people save time, save money, have access, be more empowered. There's lots of different ways that we can make everyday lives better. But those are the areas, you know, in, in fintech, it's really about the underbanked or underserved um, or the unbanked. In health and wellness, a lot about mental health, a lot about uh, femtech and racial equity in the health system. And in e-commerce, it's how do we create technologies for people who are in blue collar jobs, who aren't necessarily in the C-suite, but are, you know, what we're doing day to day and how do we make their lives easier, more transparent, save them money, all of these things. So those are the areas that we're excited about right now. Of course. And, you know, with so many VC firms out there, always encouraging founders to do due diligence on themselves, you know, on the funds that they're looking to speak with to find the right fits. Um, what are some of, and during those pitches that you guys have with founders, uh, what are some of the added advantages that founders, a part of this Arena Ventures portfolio, uh, get with working with you guys? Yeah. So there's obviously a brand and what Serena brings. Of course. But I think <laughs> even more important is the the leadership style and the, and the championship mindset that we have. So mm. our tagline is play to win. Um, and if you've ever seen Serena on the court, you know that. I, to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I myself am a pretty competitive person. Yeah. Uh, I'm unfortunately not athletic, so I didn't have any great pursuits. But <laughs> everyone on our team, you know, our goal is to we are playing, we plan, we play, we win. And so what does that mean? It means how do we build, bring all the resources that we have from working with Serena and having this amazing network. So, you know, obviously people want Serena to tweet something or to put it on their Instagram, but what's more helpful is when we can connect you to the head of procurement at Nike, or we can Mm -hmm. talk to ESG at Amazon, or we can talk to someone at Procter & Gamble. And Serena has been partners with these firms for 20 plus years. So it's not just, you know, she's not just an endorser. She's really a partner to them and and they listen when we say something. And so whether that's for business development, whether that's for potential acquisition, being able to make those long lasting connections behind the scene, super helpful. The other thing is uh, we're really focused on, on diverse leadership teams. So there's not a requirement for our founders to be women or people of color. 80% of our founders are underrepresented uh, in the venture community. So women, Black, Latino, and Indigenous people. But 
it's really about hiring those first 10 employees. Because when you think about it, we're doing early stage, we're doing pre-seed and seed. And the founder is amazing and it's important. But if the company is going to get to series B, series C, series D, you have to build a really strong team around you and you have to have people from the onset who share your vision. And also, you know, it's really hard to hire for diversity when there's 50, 60 people in the company. No one wants to be the first of something. No one wants to be the other. But if you're explicit about it from day one, one, we know diverse teams have better outcomes. Two, we know that um, you'll create a foster more diversity down the line. And three, let's be honest, that's where the wealth creation happens. If the companies are successful, those first 10 employees are going to be the ones who who really reap the rewards. And we want to make sure that that is being spread to all different communities. And when I diverse teams means, yes, different race and gender, but did you go to college? Are you an immigrant? Mm-hmm. There's lots of different ways, you know, we think about diversity and making sure that we have different thought leaders coming together. Of course, diversity per- uh, perspective is very real as well. Um, so a question from Jason uh, within our audience, do you guys look to lead rounds as well? I know you mentioned the pre-seed seed, but are you, are you guys liking to lead rounds? We will. So one of the exciting okay. things about raising this fund is that when we were an angel and we were family office, um, we knew we could shed light on the fact that only 2% of venture funding was going to women, about 1% to people of color or black founders explicitly. Um, but we were never going to move the needle, unfortunately, because we just weren't writing checks that were big enough. We couldn't lead the yeah. rounds. And now with this fund, we raised a $111 million fund, uh, we can lead. So we don't require to lead. We like to work with our founders. And if we are the best person to lead, we will lead or co-lead uh, these deals. But we also um, can be part of a larger syndicate. So that's something that's been a change as we've launched the fund. We've led, I think, three deals out of this fund so far, co-led another one or two, and then are part of larger syndicates. So we have a little bit of flexibility in that. Of course. And congratulations on the news as well that came out a few uh, months ago. We're super excited to see. Um, we covered it a lot at Inside. Um, so you mentioned that you're leading three of those investments that have been made so far, an extra two. How many investments total have been made out of the uh, most recent fund? We made 15 investments so far, I believe. And do you have a projection of how many uh, you guys are looking to make? Or is it... Um, um, depends. Depends. I think it'll be somewhere between 30 and 45, which is a big range. Uh, we're keeping about half the fun for follow-on. So one of the things that yes. we've learned is that we're good pickers. Uh, and so yeah. making sure that we have that dry powder to continue to invest in our winners uh, is important to us. I love that. So let's talk about those top picks. I'd love for you to spotlight uh, some of the companies that you're most excited about. Um, that might be a mean question because, of course, you're excited about every single company. But if you want to mention some companies that you think we'd be super excited about, that'd be wonderful. Um, well, our yeah, lots of exciting things happening. And I love all our children here at Serena Ventures. Yep. They're all <laughs> important and wonderful in their own ways. Um, one of The first deal that we led, so that's always going to be near and dear to my heart, is Calico, which is in the... Um, merchandising and procurement space, working with manufacturers in jewelry and fashion design. So it's a very offline business. You kind of get samples, you you sketch it out, you write back, you fax what you want. It, there's a lot of time that's lost. There's a lot of communication that's lost. It's digitizing that whole process from sourcing your materials to walking you go through manufacturing to getting it out the door and really saving time and money for, for these founders who are oftentimes early, you know, startup people who don't have a lot of resources at their time and, and time and money is is so valuable to them. Um, and Kathleen, who's the founder there, is one of the just most hardworking people I've ever met and just mm-hmm. constantly is um, like anytime I message her, she's there. Anytime I have a question, she's right there. And she's uh, so passionate about what she's doing that I love to see it. Even Serena's own fashion line um, is using them now. So that's one wow. of the first deal that we led. Um, but everyone we've talked to who's met with her, they're, like, they're just blown away by it's such an it's such a smart idea that why has no one else done that? And that's what I love when I find a company that's like, oh, well, of course, but it's not <laughs> something that we saw. Um, another obviously amazing company in our portfolio is Zuzu. So we uh, invested in them and their seed and they're a, a really innovating what it means to build credit because, you know, I think only 2% of rental payments were being reported to um to the credit agencies. So people are doing things that make them credit worthy that should be building up their credit score, but because they're paying in cash and they're paying rent, it's not, they're not getting the benefits of it. And so many Americans don't have access to, to credit. How do we do that if they're doing things that are credit worthy? And so Azuzu partners with the apartment managers and what they do is they report on when the uh, rent is paid and paid on time to help build your credit, but they also 
offer loans if you're not going to be able to make your rent this year, do short-term lending to make sure that, that the apartment managers get to keep their cash flow. Uh, and they, I'm happy to report they're their first unicorn out of the Serena Ventures Fund. So we invested Congratulations. in that's amazing. the Series A and the Series B just happened. And um, that's been very exciting for us. That's super, super cool. Um, so Allison, I have to ask as well, because I know Serena is very interested in um, crypto and there's been a lot of movement within Web3 and crypto. Um, I mentioned to you off air, I was at Emerge uh, last week with her and got to hear her speak about um, kind of the you know hype and you know, trends within crypto. Um, what are your personal thoughts on the space um, as a way to democratize access to pretty much I mean, anything that crypto is uh, helping people? Yeah, um, I mean... It's so exciting to see the ways in which crypto can really change who owns the information and how people get there. I mean, there, there's just so much we can do. We just invested in a company called Nestcoin, which is a decentralized wallet for on, on the continent of Africa, onloading and offloading and payments and really owning your own um, cross-country currency and really have it taking away that the instability that can come from certain areas, as well as kind of the exciting ways that we can own the data and information, know who's doing what on the web and who owns that and who's but is in what seat to, to mm -hmm. who's actually making those contracts. It's it's really exciting, as well as just kind of the communities that are being built around it and, and the ethos. I feel like it's a very different than what I came from on Wall Street. Yep. Um, and so that's been super exciting to us thinking about kind of how do we help make crypto and web three an inclusive community in an area where everyone can be seen and be heard which is one of serena's taglines because in the beginning it was a little bit of an insular community but as it's starting to expand making sure that we're seeing representation and making sure we're seeing mission aligned companies and we just invested in a company called boss beauties which is an, an nft space but focused on women and women in in in, in um employment roles like women as chefs and women as doctors and women as scientists and it's not just about being a woman, but being a woman who's working and building and what that means and having those role models for the next generation and doing it in a digital space where maybe the woman is white or maybe she's black or maybe she's purple or maybe she's pink. It doesn't matter. But are you seeing things that that you can relate to and that inspire you to become something better? Of course. I love that thesis when it comes to onboarding, you know, the millions and millions into crypto, because I know that like you and I were very involved in the VC, you know, tech space. So it seems like everybody's talking about it, you know, the, within our networks. But when you really think about it, a lot of people have no idea what's happening in this space. And, and it's it, overwhelming. Like it's, it's very overwhelming. Even for us. Like, I mean, yeah. Yep. I'm yeah, in yeah. it. It's like, get your MetaMask. So one of the companies we invested in, Lolly, um, it's a great way to kind of start being in crypto. So what it is, mm -hmm. it's, an ex it's a browser extension that um, kind of similar to what Ebates was, where if you you buy it with the extension you get money back but this one you get crypto back so it's a really good way to start get, yeah, kind yeah. of getting into bitcoin getting into ethereum but doing things you're already doing it's not going to be really a lot of friction but help you onboard get into the system and start learning which is really what it's about and it's it's scary no one wants to admit that they don't know something and no one wants to uh, take that leap necessarily without someone guiding them. So having something like that's really helpful. Of course. Yes. And I'm very familiar with that company as well. I had Alex um, on one of my past podcasts. Uh, found Alex, so, yeah. I, I first met Alex in 2019. I was like dying to do the deal. And Serena was in the finals of the U.S. Open and we just couldn't get it done <laughs> in time. And it's like, I, I, I remember he sent me a picture of the whole team watching the finals. I'm like, look, I want I'm it done. <laughs> she didn't win and i was like i'm not bringing it up i'm sorry like so but alex and i stayed in touch so for the next round um and when we looked at it serena was like yeah have we heard that? I, I like this company we should do more research i was like here's my investment memo i sent you two years ago about why we should do this company but you know luckily we got in the second time around and, and they've been doing amazing of well. course and that's why you guys are a great duo allison i mean and speaking about just how organized and uh, you know functional you are so that's a that's exciting to hear Actually, Serena is more punctual than I am. Serena oh, gets wow. <laughs> very upset if I'm like a minute late to a to a uh, a Zoom. She'll be texting me like, "Where are you?" So now, anytime I'm on a Zoom with Serena, I'm on like two or three minutes before. And that's great to know. <laughs> I mean, she more than anyone knows the value of her time, and so how she busy she is, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's very well scheduled, so uh, working on it. I love that. Well, Allison, we're going to um, close out with a fun segment that we do on the show called Five Minute Favorites. Uh, you don't have to think too much of it. Um, you know, you can kind of just give the first answers that come to mind. I'm going to ask you a series of fun questions, and we're really excited to just learn more about you through these. Um, right. So we'll start with number one. What's your favorite book? 
probably still Harry Potter. I was, I remember like the first Harry Potter reading it out loud with my mom and, and calling Hermione, Hermione, um, <laughs> you know, like Hermione, Hermione rather. Um, and just every, I have such vivid memories of every time a book came out, where I was, where I read it. And I don't think I've ever had that connection to a series like I had with Harry Potter. So probably still Harry Potter. Do you have a favorite one or is it kind of, is that too tough of a question? Like the portfolio question. <laughs> it's, well, it's just very, I have, I have such like, like the last one came out when I was in Greece and I had to go to like four different bookstores to find an English version of it. And I just like wow. remember that. Um, so I think that's one of my favorite memories. And I read the whole thing on the flight back from Greece. So <laughs> that's one of my favorite kind of Harry Potter memories. That's special. Um, favorite city to visit inside the United States? We spoke a little bit about abroad. So what about in the U.S.? Um, Probably Los Angeles. I'm from LA. My parents and my sister are still there and a lot of friends. I'm a big fan of sunshine and being outdoors. So probably still Los Angeles. Love that. I got to agree. You know, being from the Bay Area, LA is uh, it's a great place. Um, favorite song, band, or artist? I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Like okay. the entire team makes fun of me because I love Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, and I'd like to say that Taylor gave me a really nice wedding present because her last album came out on my wedding day. So I thought that was wow. very Wow. Oh, so you have to be her biggest fan then. I mean, I mean when she, she released when she it on released purpose. It uh, on my wedding day, I was like, wow, Taylor, thank you. <laughs> That's funny. Um, favorite food? Nachos. Nachos. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. What else are you adding to your nachos? Are you doing the jalapenos? The, works and... the jalapenos. I do the, the beans, chicken. Um, mm guacamole, some onions. I don't like sour cream on that. My husband does, so that's on the side for us. But yeah, nachos. <laughs> Best thing about nachos, you can't really have them every day because it's difficult to find them. But like when you do, I don't I don't feel bad about eating them because- uh, Oh, we make them at the house now. Like that was oh, a you big- Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, fun one. Favorite piece of a technology? I mean, like it's too easy to say my phone or something. Yeah, let's do a fun one. So kind of going back to the Harry Potter thing, uh, we are invested in a company called Infinite Objects, which lets you display NFTs and videos. And so you can have a screen that's like a video where you have your first kiss at your wedding or something like that, which kind of feels like the Harry Potter, uh, you know, frames where you see a little thing yeah, going yeah. on. It makes you smile and remember a memory. So I think that's one of my favorite things because you get to to live a magical moment over and over again. That sounds like an awesome company. And what is that called again? It's called Infinite Objects. Okay. Awesome. Um, favorite sport? I know you mentioned that you love soccer, but we've heard about a few others. What's like one that you can I'm like a diehard football fan and I'm a Denver Broncos fan because okay. when I grew up in LA. We didn't have a team and my mom is from Denver <laughs> and she's maybe the only person who's a bigger Denver Broncos fan. And, and in my job, I'm very lucky that I get to meet a lot of celebrities and athletes. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure the only time I've been tongue tied was when I met Von Miller. Um, and he's not oh, even a performer, yeah. but I just, I love him. And I, I, Broncos winning the Super Bowl was like one of my favorite memories, best memories. Of course. Yeah, I'm a big Saints fan, even though I'm from the Bay. My uh, my family, New Orleans. And uh, I remember when, when we won that one Super Bowl, that was <laughs> very exciting. Oh, yeah, I cried. <laughs> There's a video of me screaming. It's, yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, favorite TV show? I know you're super busy and probably don't have time to watch a lot of TV, but what is uh, your favorite TV show? Um, my guilty pleasure TV series is Below Deck on Bravo. And okay. it is... Um, just very fun it's my it's on mondays which is kind of great so i watch it as my escape on monday nights after like a long day of work okay. um and then during the pandemic i rewatched all of gilmore girls which was one of my favorite shows and just kind of still love that love the mother-daughter relationship um mm -hmm. and kind of the strong female leads that are there i wanted to be rory gilmore i still do <laughs> That's awesome. Um, final two for you. Um, and you can take a little more time to think about these. Uh, but favorite childhood memory? Oh, that's hard. Um, <laughs> wow. Probably my younger brother being born. It's like one of my first really um, explicit memories. So I, I'm one of four kids. I have an older brother, a younger sister, and a younger brother. And I we didn't know if it was a boy or girl. And I remember like driving in the minivan to the the hospital and waiting in the waiting room and my dad coming out and say we have a baby and we're like what is it and we all ran into like the room with my mom and we saw the blue cap and my older brother started crying because he was so happy to have a brother right. and it was just it's family so important to me so that's probably one of my favorite memories is just kind of like our family being complete with my younger brother 
I love that story. Reminds me of, um, I remember explicitly when my sister was born, full day. So yeah, that's really yeah, cool. I don't remember when my younger sister was born because we're closer in age. And okay, well, was not hopefully, she's not, hopefully she's not watching this now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm closer with her than I am with anyone else in this okay. world. I think we made up for it. <laughs> that's funny. Um, and uh, favorite piece of advice. This can be a piece of advice that you've gotten from someone else. I know you mentioned a really good one earlier or a piece of advice that you give to others. Uh, but favorite piece of advice. The best piece of advice is what Rich Gray told me was you don't get what you don't ask for. I think mm -hmm. Um, whether it's age or being a woman, there's a lot of things that people kind of talk themselves out of asking for something and kind of self self sabotage and just having the courage and strength to ask for what you want or what you need is so important and to have that faith in yourself. Of course, you don't get what you don't ask for. I think that's wonderful advice. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you just got to ask and it might not be a yes, yeah. but also if it is a no, it could be a yes tomorrow or in the future. So Serena passed, on, Serena passed on me two times before she finally met with me. Exactly. I think that's our uh, that's our quote for the video right there. That <laughs> people need to know that the amazing position that you have now, it would have never been uh, gotten if you weren't persistent. So that's really good to know. Um, all right. So, Allison, we're going to close out. We have quick um, round of questions from the audience. Uh, question from John. Biggest surprise within the VC world so far this year? Whew. Um, oh God, these are not planned. Um, I, I mean, I think the world just changed on a dime really quickly this year. So deals were happening so fast and now they're not. And I think what's happening in the world, which hadn't been affecting us in VC, uh, for the first time in like the last five years since I've been doing this, we're really seeing those those waves. So I think that's something that we've been thinking about and thought for years was going to catch up to us. And it finally did. And I kind of thought that it was never going to happen. <laughs> of course. Um, another question from Jason um, in speaking about, you know, the size of the investments you guys are making. Um, do you want startups to have an MVP by the time you're investing in them? So they don't have to. We will do things pre-launch. Um, and so when we do things on the pre-seed level, uh, it's obviously most of the time there is at least a working prototype or some sort of market fit, um, but it's not required. It's it's really just understanding the team and the what it's going to take to get there. So when you're doing pre-seed, um, we, we will do things pre-launch and pre-product pre, uh, market fit. Awesome. Well, Allison, those are all the questions that I have in our audience. I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us on Venturing in VC. We didn't have an episode last week, so I was really uh, you know, excited for this one. Um, and I know our audience was as well, and it's going to do very well when it comes out on Thursday. So thank you, Allison. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was a pleasure.